Elder Mann just asked me if I would give a brief introduction, which I'll try to do. Um, I had some things I was going to say. First of all, greetings from uh, the Salt Light Reformed Presbyterian Church in Longmont, uh, where I spent over 20 years of ministry before I retired, and we have a great uh, new pastor in H.P. McCracken. Uh, also, greetings from my wife, who was involved in the church school program. And she also was hoping, because um, uh, as part of the introduction, one of, uh, as, a, as a couple of our best friends are Ron and Gay Graham. Uh, when Barbara and I drove a U-Haul truck, I th- think it was a U-Haul, um, we've driven U-Hauls to churches and Penske's to churches and riders to churches. Um, back in 19... 19- so 77, uh, we pulled into uh, the home which we'd lived in for four years while I was attending the RP seminary, and sitting on the front porch were Ron and Gay Graham. You know, we'd never met them, but they helped us unload, and uh, we've been very dear friends, so Barbara's hoping that Gay is with Ron, but she's not with me, so I apologize on her behalf, but uh, she has some other uh, responsibilities take care of. Uh, my name is Marty Wilsey. I, I have been in Colorado for a number of years. Uh, after I graduated from seminary, I spent time in the Eastvale congregation across the river from Geneva College in Beaver Falls. Then in uh, 1986, accepted a call to uh, replace the irreplaceable uh, J. Paul McCracken as pastor of the Westminster congregation, and Barbara and I fondly remember that when we we moved to Colorado, one of the things that helped us get acclimated is we would, on a monthly basis, meet Paul and Francis in Castle Rock at McDonald's, and I suppose many of you have perhaps been McDonald's with them, Uh, at least those of you who are older, uh, they had their own McDonald's uh, coffee cups, Uh, they believed in senior coffee, and I said, I'll never pay for senior coffee, but I regularly do that now. Um, but uh, they were very instrumental uh, in, in helping us get acclimated not only to Colorado, but uh, to the pastoral ministry as well. And uh, then after a, a time out of the pastorate, uh, uh, we started a new work, the Westminster Congregation um, in Longmont, Colorado, and I served there for just about 20 years uh, as its only pastor until about 18 months ago when H.P. McCracken came because I had retired. Uh, Why did I retire? Well, that's a question I asked myself for a while, but um, one of the reasons was, just so you know, that the first time I ever preached to the Springs Reformed Church, it was not called the Springs Reformed Church. And uh, the worship services were held in what I believe was a converted garage, uh, or, or either that or a very small workshop or something. And I think it was on Kinnickinnick, uh down the street from where some folks still live, I understand. Um, and uh, that was a long time ago. In fact, if you are not at least 34 years old, you weren't there uh, back then, because that's how long ago I think it was. Uh, also, when I uh, determined to to uh, step out, I, I had those second thoughts, Lord, that I make a mistake and 
In the providence of God, about four months later, I was on an operating table having triple bypass surgery uh, in January of 1921, no, uh, 2021. Um, and so the Lord said it, it was time, and, uh, and certainly the Lord has blessed uh, my family as well as uh, the Salt Lake congregation ever since. And I pray that I might still be have an opportunity from time to time to be a blessing to God's people as the Lord provides opportunity. Um, today... <laughs> The sermon text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and the sermon title is an Easter postscript. Uh, I just thought I would mention why I named it that. There's uh, two or three reasons. Uh, the first is that uh, I grew up in a church where Easter was a high holy day. Uh, and, and the Lord called me to faith and I realized that uh, it is not that, but yet it is a day once a year when Christendom um, and the culture around us uh, at least is thinking about things related to that. So I've always viewed it as a very good opportunity to uh, seize uh, that particular time on the calendar and to speak of uh, the basics of the, of the gospel, one of them being the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. Secondly, uh, our pastor HP did that last week, and I was um, really fired up. He, he, he did such a, a wonderful exposition of the 22nd Psalm, uh, and I, I learned some things. I thought I was a, a master at that particular Psalm, but I learned some things from that and, and just wanted to in some way build on that. And then I, I had a chance, an invite to come to the Springs Church. Three was... I wasn't preaching last week. If I was, I could have preached this sermon. And, and, uh, but it, it's been on my mind. Um, and fourthly, it, it, it struck me last week while I was sitting listening to HP's sermon that uh, from that moment in history when the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, we have been in a world that is in an Easter postscript. We are realizing the benefits of that singular event in human history, uh, in the plan of God for all of the creation. And so it, it's such a fundamental that it is worthy of our attention. And as Reformed Presbyterians, uh, we always say, well, we really celebrate Easter every Lord's Day, one day and seven throughout the year, and that is exactly right. And so... Oh, the last thing I did was I checked with Patty about the bulletin and asked what was preached here last week. And I don't think it was the subject of Easter, although maybe it was, and I just uh, didn't understand the text when I got that answer. So for those of you that wanted to focus on the resurrection with me again, um, as I'm doing, uh, please join with me as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Am I allowed to adjust the light a little bit? When I was here over on Kinnikinnick, I did not have these. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when the hand, he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. And we will conclude our reading at that point. Uh, there is an outline on the bulletin that uh, you can use. I tend to be one with, church, with outlines that don't put blanks in there, uh, but I did do it this time. And then driving down here, sermon preparation happens until the, the minute that a preacher walks up and stands in the pulpit. But it struck me that uh, I should have four points because I forgot an obvious one and Probably it ought to be the first one, so I just thought I would mention it. You'll understand why I uh, probably did this. But the, the first one would be the resurrection is a fulfillment of God's word. As the Apostle Paul says 
in verse 3 here, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So there are two events in this passage that Paul says is, is concerned to say these things happened. Why? Because uh, they are in accordance with the very plan of God that has been laid down in the Old and New Testaments, or the Old Testament up to this point, and, and reiterated and, and enhanced upon the fulfillment in the New Testament. And so uh, the resurrection is a fulfillment of the Word of God from Genesis until the time of Christ. Secondly, getting to uh, your line, uh, the resurrection first is a fact, and I would just ask you to, to review the first eight verses that we read here. Uh, and by a fact, F-A-C-T, uh, it is an event that happened in history. That's critically important. Uh, Paul is very concerned here to lay this out as, uh, as completely meticulously as he can. There were eyewitnesses to this event. Uh, we have the gospel accounts that give us eyewitness testimony, but Paul talks about uh, the fact that there were many, many people who beheld uh, the risen Christ. Uh, Paul lists a number of them, starting with Peter or, or Cephas, and some of them are identified by name or by title, apostles, the twelve. Uh, others are not, the five hundred in particular that are mentioned in verses five through eight. And Paul even himself says, and I too was an eyewitness, although the way that God did that for him was quite different uh, from uh, the time that Jesus was raised and walked among uh, his disciples until he uh, completed uh, final instructions. And then in Acts chapter 1, and, and this is also captured uh, in, in various gospel accounts, he was received up into heaven um, where he now sits at the right hand of the power and high uh, uh, for the sake of his church, and that's us. Um, but the testimony of these people that Paul mentions here has been questioned, it has been denied. Other explanations of the empty tomb have been given to a fallen world. Uh, we have one of those given to us in, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, before the Great Commission, we have the event of the soldiers and what happened with the soldiers when, they, uh, when the, the tomb was empty and that was discovered and there was a, a plan that we'll go and we'll lie to uh, to pilot and things so that you won't get in trouble, those kinds of things. Uh, and for the past 2,000 years, other answers and lies about the empty tomb have been concocted. No doubt, the weeks after Jesus' resurrection uh, were days of panic for the leaders of both uh, Rome and the leaders of uh, the Jewish people looking for the body of Jesus. But the fact remains, the tomb was empty, the body was never found, Jesus was risen, he did appear to many, and uh, I can't say for sure um, how often he may have appeared to unbelievers, but he certainly appeared, for the most part, the, the records would indicate that those who uh, were, were of faith or were being called into faith were witnesses of that resurrection. He ascended to the right hand of the power on high, and later on the risen Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus to a persecutor 
of Christians named Saul of Tarsus. And I guess we can say the rest of that is history. And that's the point. This is part of history when we talk about the resurrection. And one of uh, the resurrection is one of two facts that we just talked about in, in the early verses of this chapter. The crucifixion and the resurrection that cannot be separated. I have been over the years in multiple uh, conversations with other pastors, with members of my congregation and others, saying, you know, what, what, is, what's, what are the essential doctrines uh, that we must believe if we are to be of faith? And, and uh, some say uh, the cardinal important one is the crucifixion, which is that atoning sacrifice for the sins of, of God's people. Uh, others, the resurrection, but you can't separate them. These two things go together. We talk about one, we're talking about the other. They are both according to the scriptures. And if you do not have a right understanding of the significance of what happened on the cross and what happened uh, with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then I, I would question whether you understand the gospel because that's what Paul's talking about here. As he started this chapter, I'm talking about this gospel by which you were saved and in which you stand. And, and so I'm here to just remind you and to encourage you that that gospel hasn't changed and that that Lord is still reigning and that no matter what the world brings, whether it's war in Ukraine or elsewhere, whether it's great struggle with why the Lord uh, puts us through some of the sufferings that he puts us through right now, we are, we, we're continuing, and, and I would just ask you to continue to pray for Evan Heinemann. I know that you have been, uh, but he, he, his health has been declining somewhat. We are still praying the Lord will heal him from his cancer, but uh, he's fighting the good fight. And uh, all of these things that perhaps may trouble us, uh, we need to understand that uh, the Lord knows us and he knows what we need and he is caring for our needs. These things go together, the cross and the empty tomb, and this is critically important to note because both are essential parts of the work of the incarnate Son of God. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ has much factual corroboration beyond the kingdom of God, the church. Uh, there are many pagans who will, who will readily acknowledge that the Lord Jesus was crucified. And there are many accounts that have been written of that uh, from that particular time by unbelievers as well as by believers such as the gospel writers. But with the resurrection, it's different. The pagan world doesn't talk about it so much. And it is only understood uh, as a fact by those given by the Holy Spirit the ears to hear and the eyes to behold it. Notice verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here we are today, a week removed from Christendom's annual commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus, listening to a sermon titled An Easter Postscript, remembering and proclaiming this pivotal historical truth, this absolutely essential fact to a world which needs to hear it. And that brings us now to our second point, that the resurrection is a foundational doctrine. And uh, I suggest that is the point that Paul is making in verses 12 through 19. And Paul's logic here seems 
almost simplistic, I think, when we look at it. It is basic and it is straightforward. He's essentially saying you cannot, Christian, have it both ways. Either resurrection from the dead is possible, or it's not. And if it is not, then Christianity has big problems. It is founded on a lie, a lie perpetuated year by year as sermons are preached about the resurrection of the Savior. In many churches, hymns are sung proclaiming Christ the Lord is risen today. And even the even Reformed Presbyterians sing from Psalm 16 or Psalm 22 or Psalm 110 or one of the 147 other psalms that speak about the crucified and risen Jesus. Paul understood all of this. He knew that the future advancement and success of Christianity depended on the risen Jesus, not a dead Jesus. This truth is at the very core of the gospel, which is where Paul starts this chapter. So we too cannot have it both ways, denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but proclaiming good news to a needy world about Jesus' resurrection power. Paul puts it very succinctly and bluntly here in verses 13 through 19. First about himself, look at verse 15, that if Christ, if there is no resurrection and Christ has not been raised, then we, speaking as a preacher, uh, speaking as an apostle along with the others who are preaching and the others who are apostles, we are false witnesses. There's, that's a nice way to say it, but what, we're liars. If we're preaching this and Christ was not resurrected from the dead. But it also, what does it say about the rest of us if somehow we uh, try to have it both ways? That's found in verse 17 where he says to us, and if Christ has not been raised in history as a fact, then where does that leave you? It leaves you with a faith that is worthless which means you are still in your sins, which means you have no hope. He even goes beyond that to talk about the implications of those who have gone before us, and, uh, and we miss them and we mourn them, um, have gone into faith. I'm, I'm just thinking about three weeks from this coming Tuesday, uh, I will have an opportunity to be at Arlington Seminary. Seminary. <laughs> Ever since I went to seminary, cemetery and seminary somehow seem to get confused. Uh, but at Arlington Cemetery in Washington, uh, my father-in-law, who died now uh, on December 6, uh, 2020, at the age of 99, uh, was a Pearl Harbor survivor and. Uh, it is only now that uh, he will be buried at Arlington Cemetery and uh, with the graces of the naval chaplain who will be conducting that service, uh, I, I anticipate the opportunity to, to speak a little bit for just a few minutes at, at that service. And it will be another place because uh, my father-in-law was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and it will be a good time, a happy time of remembrance, and it is not a time of deception or anything else, that uh, if uh, we, whenever we have a funeral, uh, if the person 
is in the Lord, then we have great confidence in the promises of God. And this passage is the foundation about that. And so we have great hope for those who have gone to be with the Lord ahead of us. We also have hope for those who will come after us, which hopefully will include every one of uh, the children here who, like uh, Titus Mann, have been baptized and are a part of the Church of Jesus Christ as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ and become fully acquainted with the importance of his crucifixion and the importance of his resurrection from the dead. There will be great hope for the future. Paul is exactly right that if we do not believe in the fact that Jesus was raised again from the dead, sealing for us all of the promises of God given to his people, we would be of all men and women and children most to be pitied. And what a hopeless religion Christianity is and would be if it is devoid of this precious and fundamental doctrine. Paul goes on then to our third point in verse 20. He's presented an argument that how can you disagree with him? Uh, And the obvious answer for all who believe is that uh, Paul is talking about uh, something that is not the case, a hypothetical situation to disprove it. But in verse 20, He says that which we all, I I trust in the Lord, believe. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. And that puts everything else into order in our lives. Paul returns to the truth of the matter. The resurrection is a fact. It is a foundational doctrine and truth. He himself was eyewitness of these things. The gospel he has been preaching is true. It is foundational. It is powerful. It has been demonstrated in so many ways in his life and throughout the centuries in the lives of believers. Paul then goes on to remind us about this gospel. And the third point is the resurrection is a future hope. And we're living in that future that Paul was talking about about 2,000 years ago. He goes on to remind us of the importance of the resurrection uh, as it continues to speak to God's people as they minister in the future until the end of the age. It is certainly implied in in calling Jesus the first fruits here of those who are asleep. The first fruits implies what? That there's more to follow and more to come. And this building, this church here, is full of those who are part of those fruits of the gospel of Christ. In verses 21 through 23, uh, as I view it, and uh, there's a lot here, but it's, very, it's a very great summary where Paul is giving a, a, a summary of how it works in human history and what the gospel has done. He gives us a very brief lesson, really in covenant theology here, talking about what went wrong with Adam and how the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, has set it right. This is really a summary. These verses are really a summary of Romans 5. 
So if you want to dig into this more, I would encourage you to go there. And what I suggest is important for each of us to remember about uh, these verses, uh, talking about Adam and talking about Christ, is that what went wrong in the first Adam has since Jesus was raised from the dead been set right by him. What Adam failed to do, which was to obey God and his word, Christ has done fully, completely, and once for all to our benefit. Adam succumbed to the temptations of the evil one. That's found in Genesis 3, and I think we all know that. But Christ did not. And uh, I would suggest you turn to Matthew chapter 4, where we have the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, a temptation which was far more severe than the temptation Adam went under. And yet, as the writer to Hebrews said, Christ did not sin, and as a result is able to save the likes of us. Adam's failure brought to humanity sin and death. Christ's victory has brought forgiveness of sin and life. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, according to the scriptures, as the guarantor, that's from Hebrews 7.22, a very important verse, um, if you really want to understand how it all works and how in Romans 3, when Christ says, uh, when, when Paul says that it is in the gospel of Christ that God is able to remain God, to be just, to be perfect, to be holy, but at the same time, he's able to save those who are dead in sin. And uh, that has to do with what Christ did on the cross as our guarantor, our surety, Christ satisfied the requirement of God that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And for those who believe Christ and are in Christ, sin has been dealt with. And that is our part, to believe. Christ's resurrection from the dead, according to the scriptures, is the fruit of the cross. It is at the cross that God forgives sins, and it is because of the cross that God provides restoration of life. The fall and the cross have in Christ led to us being made alive again. And the day is coming when we will experience that in all of its fullness. Which is what Paul is talking about in these last verses that we read this morning up until verse 28. So when I talk about a future hope, it is... Uh, in the biblical sense of the word hope, and I'm sure preachers, and I, I would not doubt that uh, your faithful pastor here said this, that biblical hope is very different from hope as we normally conceive it. I always hoped to be about six inches taller. Now I hope to be about 60 pounds lighter. Uh, I, I hope to someday be able to do a a triathlon, but I've given, really given up that hope. But uh, we think of hope as something that we wish might happen, but the future hope that the scriptures talk about in Christ is a certainty. How do we have any confidence that our, our hope in Christ giving us everlasting life is valid, is true? He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the Right hand of God on high. He is the King of kings and the Lord 
of Lourdes, and that is the sure hope that we have. The past provides us with a hope that will sustain us through our lifetimes until the Lord comes again. Children, it will sustain you if you listen to your parents as they teach you about the truth of these uh, beautiful and, and important things that Jesus did for us. It will sustain you. Uh, I, I can remember before I was married that Barbara and I began to pray that the Lord would uh, after we were married, he would bless us with children. Uh, he did that. We also prayed way back before we were married that we would see our children's children. And we have 13 of those now. I don't think there's going to be any more. But, but now we are praying for to see our children's children's children. That is the promise of God to his people. That is the hope of God's people from generation to generation. We're going to sing about that at the end of the service here in just a minute. Uh, the children yet unborn uh, might come to faith uh, as we have in the risen Savior whose name is Jesus Christ. Uh, my sermon at one point, uh, but in the interest of time we're going to um, conclude this, was going to include reading from John chapter 11, the, the experience of the resurrection of Lazarus, and uh, the, the way in which Jesus interacted with Mary and Martha. Um, uh, that was a foretaste of what better things yet to come. Uh, but there is a phrase uh, when Jesus is talking to Martha, when she said, if you had been here, this all could have been avoided. And uh, Jesus says one of those uh, seven I am's that the Gospel of John records for us. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says to Martha, I don't think he goes there, Martha, Martha, but I, I almost can hear that on his lips. Do you believe this? And that's my word for us as we conclude today. First of all, by way of application, this chapter teaches us that faith is not blind. Sometimes people say, well, but you just believe anything. But the word of God is a word that gives us so much information and teaches us to understand it is rational, it is true, it is defensible, and it's never some kind of a leap of faith, but rather it is simply a, a gift of faith which we have been given. And when we put our trust in him, it all makes sense. I, I, I can honestly say I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and, and, and I was a very good churchgoer. I would... I went to the kids' mass in the morning. I, I did all the right things. But I went off to college with no foundation, a lot of knowledge because passages from the Bible were read but never explained to me. But in college, the Lord brought me to faith and came to understand that all of those words make sense when you uh, put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, once I did that, all of a sudden I went to a, my first Bible study, and I think it was that first Bible study that started on a road where I think seminary was just God's plan for me. I didn't know anything about it at that point. But all of a sudden, everything made sense. And uh, in the Scripture, I feel like I had at that time what I would call a John moment. And I just, uh, one of the... Uh, one of the verses that, that that just has struck me and continues to strike me when we talk about the resurrection. You remember in John 20, 
First of all, the women showed up at the tomb, and then they went off and, uh, and, and talked to the others. And then Peter and the disciple Jesus loved went running up to the tomb, and they saw that the stone was rolled away. And uh, the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, he goes up and he stops. I love Peter, though. I'm a Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Paul. I'm a Peter. My emotions get hold of me all the time. Peter just barge, goes right in. And then John looks in. And in verse 8 it says this. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. The resurrection is what made sense to John the Apostle and to ultimately to all the apostles. And if you are in Christ, you know, you know that feeling to understand uh, the great blessing and assurance and confidence that sustains us through everything because we do not serve a powerless, dead Savior, but rather a risen King and Lord. Faith is not blind. Secondly, the day of Christ's bodily resurrection began the new covenant age. And in this New Testament age, the power of sin and death are finished. The victory has been won. The rest of this chapter goes on to speak of those things. Do you believe this? Using Jesus' words to Martha. I would also suggest, and I say this very carefully, uh, point C in the application, belief in and acceptance of the fact of Christ's resurrection is essential to Christianity. Uh, it's essential that it happened. I, I'm not discounting the idea that God will save whom he will save, and there may be somebody who throughout all their life felt the, the gospel has all of these things and, and may yet be able to be in the kingdom of heaven, but I, 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 that's one of those debates that I have with myself back and forth, but it is an essential doctrine. Paul is right. If he was not risen from the dead, we're wasting our time. A seventh of our days we're giving to a God who has lied to us, but that is not the, the fact of the matter. We know that Christ has been raised to the first fruits of his church. Do you believe this? Paul gives uh, this passage in the context of the preaching of the gospel. And preaching is only true preaching when it is based upon the fact and the foundational doctrine of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? And then finally, I just would read for us. Um, Today has been a not-in-vain day. I did not pick Psalm 127 that talks about vain things. Um, if you are apart from the Lord, Paul talks about vain things in 1 Corinthians 15. But he concludes this chapter about the risen Christ in saying to us, his people, Therefore, my beloved brethren... And he goes on to say, here's what I want for you. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not, and not ever, in vain in the Lord. Believe it. Heed it. 
live it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who reminds us regularly as we spend time in your word of the truth of the very treasures of heaven that you have given to us. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the testimony of saints who have gone before us. And from the time of the apostles who were eyewitnesses to his glory and majesty until today, we're thankful for the saints who have gone before us throughout history defending the truth of the scriptures against the deceptions of the evil one. We thank you for the testimony of our predecessors in the faith. Lord, many of us come from families in which Christ has been honored for many generations. Some like me, it's something new in our generation, and yet we're thankful that once you call men and women out of darkness into your marvelous light, that once you bring men and women together in marriage to build families in the Lord, that everything has changed, and it's changed because the Lord was raised again at that point in history. And since then, the victory belongs to us, his people. So bless us even as we go forth and struggle with the affairs of everyday life. We thank you for the joys that we experience. Uh, We somewhat thank you for some of the difficulties and yet understand that you have ordained all of these things to mold us into the men and women and boys and girls that you want us to be. And we pray that we will be steadfast, we will be immovable, and that we will go forth desiring to abound in your work, knowing that it always will bear fruit. Hear our prayers. Bless us as we deal with uh, the situation in the world around us, Lord. It is very troubling to see what's going on in the Ukraine. It is troubling to know that we have brothers and sisters in many places in the world that are worshiping you this day in secret because of fear of what man can do. And yet we pray that you will be there with your people wherever they are, that you will sustain them, and that you will use them boldly to do your work. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the families represented here and the individuals here as well. We pray that you will bless the meal that is to follow and the classes that are to follow. We pray that you will help us now as we've met with you at the beginning of this week to go forth to serve you well. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.